Hey folks, we have some exciting news to tell y'all about. The Bad Rolling Project has partnered with Expedition 44 and Rival Nations to start the one-of-a-kind No Key But Christ Network. This network will consist of content creators with the focus of Jesus is King and no other. For more information, visit nokeymutchristnetwork.com. Now back to the show. Please be advised that this episode contains discussions of true crime, including accounts of murder, violence, suicide, and criminal behavior. The content may be disturbing and is not suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey folks, today we're going to step way off topic and talk about true crime. One thing about podcasting I enjoy so much is getting to talk with other podcasters on the show, and I love using the the Bad Roman platform to introduce our audience to other podcasts because I find it very important to support one another because of how I now understand the amount of work that goes into it. Today, Christy Ramos from Christy's Chronicles joins me to talk about a topic that always grabs my attention and to tell us all about her podcast. Let's go. Yeah. Left, right, left, right. We got our marching orders, man. Left, right, left, right. Christy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. And um, I think that the true crime community needs everybody to be involved and to be here to listen and to get involved in the different conversations that can be had from it. And I am from South Carolina. Um, I grew up in the South. Um, I am um, a mom (laughs) more than anything. Um, And my whole life, I've wanted to just help people in some capacity. So I currently work um, in health insurance, kind of fighting against um, overbilling. I have a background in um, legal. Um, I have a paralegal degree and I'm interested in how all of that works. Um, and I also was raised as a Christian, but I, um, through learning about true crime and through different um, things that have happened in my life, I no longer consider myself part of any major religion. Um, <laughs> but I think that religion can have a big part in a lot of these cases. And can um, definitely lead to things because it can be manipulated in ways um, that have resulted in things that have happened. <laughs> yeah, um, then we're going to talk about that one of the one of the podcast episodes that you did. The second one, you, you know, so this is your show fairly new. At the time this recording is fairly new, so the second episode is something that I, this guy had never heard of, and I want to talk about his his, uh, his religion upbringing because I was I'm curious and you're the expert on this if you could kind of explain if maybe that had an influence on him and what caused him to be just so I mean it's just I don't know what the right word to use with these folks are if it's lunatic if it's crazy if it's psychotic I mean I don't know it's it's not normal it's we know it's not normal behavior for somebody to behave to act like this and, and I don't know just it's so gruesome and I don't understand how a person can think that way but we'll, we'll talk about Israel Keys here in a little bit I want to um, give a shout out to your your boyfriend Chris for uh, hooking this up, setting this up. He uh, he, ta- he he posts your, your podcast on his page, and um, that's how I found out. And I was like, hey, I want to talk to her on the show. This would be an interesting topic to. It's something I want to talk about because it's I, I don't understand it, and, and you 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 do you put in a lot of work to kind of study these cases, and so maybe getting the chance to talk to somebody like you about this. It's I, maybe I'm just curious. Maybe I'm just curious about what what goes into what what causes a person to behave this way. What happens? You know, you know. We see sometimes when somebody kills somebody, it's it maybe it's a it's a like a knee jerk reaction, and they don't turn into a mass murderer. You know what I'm saying? These people are methodical. Yeah, I've I think my early um, interest in this. You know, I was born in the late '80s, so 
in my earlier years, I remember the O.J. Simpson case. I remember um, seeing John Benet Ramsey's case and just being completely fascinated by everything that was happening there. And I think maybe the darker part of my brain was interested in that because of the age that I was at the time and the way that the world was. I was just kind of interested in the like macabre and of the situations that were happening there. And, but as I started to look more into it, I started to see that maybe, you know, it's more the nurture aspect of our life that actually causes these things to happen instead of nature, where I do think there are natural things that occur that result in us um, breaking or whatever the term may be that makes you become so horrible. Um, but, um, I do think that the nurture part is lacking. And the more that we study these cases and start to see where these people came from, what happened in their life, we can start to hopefully maybe draw some parallels to things and see like, okay, if we're doing that all the time, (laughs) maybe that's what's resulting in these people becoming this way. Um, And maybe we can help stop those from occurring and or at least less and less often where people aren't in such desperate ways. Um, And I think that um, I'm part of the gentle parenting group or movement that's about. And I think that um, nurturing our children and really developing our children and allowing them time to grow and not putting parentification on them and um you know, making sure we're not beating our children and um, really allowing them the time necessary to grow and be nurtured and to develop. And um, all of that is important. And without those things and with other certain aspects that get involved when you're in those developmenting, like, you know, developmental years, it can create some horrible situations in people. Yeah, I remember I'm, there's a lot of a lot of the times you know, the people use the, the Bible to to justify whipping a, a child or something and like spare the rod, spoil the child type stuff. And I used to believe that. Now I just don't think it's necessary. I don't I don't, I don't believe it's necessary to, to I mean, don't get me wrong. My mom, <laughs> my mom whipped me, but, you know, it wasn't because she was beating. She wasn't beating me, and it, but it didn't change. I mean, it didn't make me go crazy. I don't know. So maybe it's something that something to be said for some folks about that, but. I don't. I don't think it's necessary to um, to whip a child. That's probably going to get me some harsh emails, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you mentioned the O.J. Simpson case. Um, that seems like a lifetime ago, right? And I remember <laughs> me and my friends. Man, we were young. I was. I don't. Me and my buddy. We had our first apartment, and I was. I don't know. Nineteen, twenty years old, young and dumb, and but that we sat every day and watched this trial. And I did, I know the dude got away from with murder. I know that. Yeah. But I remember after he was found not guilty, I remember cheering because I I adored O.J. Simpson because of his football antics, you know, because football player and this stuff. Right. But then I was like, why was I cheering that? There's two people who were dead. There's two people dead. And it was a pretty gruesome murder, too. That was our true crime. That was our true yeah. crime show was watching the trial. I was quite young at the time. I mean, I think I was in elementary school when that was happening. So, and even then, like, it's enough. It was so talked about and so, like, ingrained in social society that I knew about it as a, you know, as someone in elementary school. And enough that I remember things happening and I remember the glove incident and all the things that everyone was talking about um, throughout my whole life. (laughs) And it stuck with me. And made me interested in that. If it doesn't fit, you have exactly. to quit. <laughs> Johnny Cochran was, I don't know how he pulled that out, but he did. Yes. Okay. Let's talk. Let's, let's start with your first podcast, your first episode. Yeah. And then before, before we close the show later, maybe you can just kind of give everybody a rundown of what you're, you're wanting to do with the show and, and, and what got you interested. But let's start with the, the Kaylee Anthony case, because I remember this one too. I was printing newspapers at the time. I lived in Northwest Arkansas. And when this is something we talked about at work every day because it was in the, we're printing newspapers. It's in the newspaper, you know, so we were talking about it. Right. I remember thinking if this if this lady did kill her child, she doesn't seem very bothered by it. 
if she's if it comes to find out she was running around for 30 days before she even reported her missing. I mean, I, I it just seemed very odd and I don't know how she got away with it. Maybe you can maybe you can talk about that because the way you the way you break this stuff down in, in your podcast is fascinating to me because I can tell and people if you go listen to her her, her podcast, you, you can tell how much work she puts into it because you go step by step by step by step. And I learned things in that first episode about the Kaylee Anthony case that I knew nothing about. So maybe let's talk about that a little bit and then just you kind of talk about Kaylee Anthony and then I'll uh, if I have a question, I'll just interject then. Well, um, I appreciate what you said for sure. And um, I also was at the time when it was all happening, um, I wasn't as involved in true crime and as interested in it. I wasn't doing all the research that I do now about it. Um, but like you said, I couldn't really escape it. I remember just no matter what it was being talked about. I was seeing it um, on the TV. It was in the newspapers, wherever. Um, so I was following along with it. And back then, I um, just felt the same way that her demeanor was just not that of someone who just lost a child and was devastated. Um, everyone grieves differently, 100%. And everyone experiences loss differently. So I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt. But Especially when it was happening, I was a new mom, so I couldn't imagine my child dying and or going missing because that's what she told everyone was happening at the time and not being just a disaster. <laughs> it would just be a mess. Um, and she had almost no emotion. And when she did have emotion, it was for herself. She was only ever sad when it was something that was affecting her. Um, and it just didn't seem right. But then during the trial, of course, her attorneys decided to throw in this um, thing right in the middle of court and said that, you know, it was George was molesting her the whole time and that her brother was also involved in um, sexually assaulting her her whole life. And so they had this thing that most people don't want to tell a woman, no, that didn't happen to you, especially around the time that was happening. It was a big thing that women were finally being understood and being heard um, when they were talking about those types of things. And so you don't want to question that on somebody, but we were in the middle of a trial as well. So they didn't have the time that's necessary to look into those accusations to see if there's any merit to it. So it gave the jury benefit of the doubt. And so she got off and they rushed to, to try her in the first place, I think, because of all the public pressure that was on them. And so they just didn't have a strong enough case yet. And because of that, she got tried, but she got off on it. And now she can never be tried again, even though she tries to still say that that's her narrative and that it's all her father. And it's just so sad. <laughs> The whole thing is just so sad. So listening to you, I'm going to have to, I, I believe that you believe that she got away with murder. I do. Yes. Is that what you believe? Because I think, I don't remember if you said this in, in that show, but you said, you know, y'all listen and you decide. And I don't know how that, how that happens because it seems like when they found the car, wouldn't they felt there was a stench in the car. It smelled like a, like a dead body from where, from if I'm understanding correctly. Yes. It was her car. I mean, for months the, it smelled. Yeah. <laughs> It was so strong that they took air samples, and when they sent those samples to the lab and they opened it, they said the whole lab smelled like a dead body. Wow. So it wasn't just a little stench. It was permeating the whole car. And they said then that it was rotten food, but, you know, it's we've all smelled rotten food. Not all of us have smelled a rotten body, thank goodness, but they do smell very, very different. and. Um, you could tell the difference between that and it wasn't just garbage they supposedly or allegedly from what they've said that reminds me of this uh, apartment i had my neighbor to the back of me i didn't know her but i'd seen her and i was leaving one day this is years ago and there were cops out there and i remember walking by the apartment they found her dead in the apartment i remember walking by and you could smell it just the, the smell almost knocks you over it's a distinct smell yes i mean we, we've all smelled a, a dead animal right it's not unsimilar right I and mean, it's you, you know you know what death smells like yes. it's 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 pretty rough i don't know 
Hey folks, we have set up a very simple way to donate to the Bad Rubber Project through SpotFund.com. Just go to SpotFund and search No King But Christ. This has become necessary to continue to provide a quality podcast and keep production costs down as well. Just five or ten bucks a month will go a long way in helping us keep this project going and continue spreading the very basic message of No King But Christ. So if you like what we were doing and can find it within your budget, go to spotfund.com and search No King But Christ and you can set up monthly donations or even donate one time. Any and all donations help more than you know. And as always, any donations above production costs will go directly to charities in Memphis, Tennessee. Thank you all so much. Now back to the show. Well, okay, so the defense team in the Kaylee Anthony case threw in her being molested by her, her dad and her brother. And that you believe that was a tactic to kind of deflect, maybe deflect from the actual murder itself. I mean, it seemed to work. I mean, cause I, I do believe that she got away with murder as well, but I, if that's what, if that's what caused the jury to be like, well, maybe she doesn't deserve to go to prison because she was molested as a child. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's fair to the, to Kaylee Anthony. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? hundred percent. And I, she's flip-flopped a few times back and forth of what she says is actually what happened. And um, she admits her aversion is that she was sleeping and George, her father, woke her up and was asking where her daughter was. And they started searching through the house. And then she found her um, or he found her in the swimming pool. So there's been speculation that it was all a big accident that just got handled really poorly. But then she's also accused him directly of drowning her on intentionally because he was mad at Kaylee, at Casey. So we and I mean, she's a compulsive liar. So it's really hard to understand if, you know, what happened at all. And it does just doesn't make any sense because she then left the house with Kaylee and drove around for hours because her cell phone was found circling their neighborhood for hours until George left the house and then she went back. It just doesn't make any sense what she tries to say. And she has an answer for everything. So when she's been questioned directly on certain things, she has an answer for it. But if you start listening to all of her lies and put them all kind of chronological, they don't make any sense. And it doesn't actually work out to anything that's plausible. And there's no, which as a woman and as someone who has experienced sexual assault myself, you want to believe women when they're talking about that, but I don't believe her even a little bit. I think she just, I don't think she is afraid to use whatever she can um, to save her own ass. So she doesn't mind um, throwing her whole family and she hasn't spoken to them, I guess, since the trial as well. They lost their daughter and their granddaughter all from this whole horrible accident. There were images of her coming out like she was out partying, out, out at clubs and stuff, dancing and stuff while this child was missing before they even found the dead body, you know. And I don't this this is what we were talking about earlier. What what happens to a person that I don't know how somebody can be, be how somebody can be so callous or cold. But maybe I'm just look at things different. I mean, I don't know, but I don't, I just, what happens to a person that you could go out, your child is missing. And if you didn't care for that child, that's one thing, but there was no indication that she didn't care for her. Yeah. I guess until she murdered her, you know, <laughs> and then buried her. Right. But if your child is missing and you're out, out clubbing. Yeah. I'm not a, um, psychologist or um, anything like that. But from what I understand, if she has narcissistic personality tendencies or something of that sort, she has no empathy. So she has no ability to feel the same way that we do or think the same way that we do. And she doesn't have the ability to care for anything other than herself. And because of that, it can allow you to separate yourself. And they're really good at pretending like they care and making you feel like they care because they're really good manipulators and they're the best at making you feel like they are there until they no longer need you or until you get in their way. And then they can show you their true colors and the narcissistic uh, personality disorders are terrifying to me because I think that's what allows a lot of these 
uh, people to do what they do. Yeah. I, and I, I listened to this episode, that this specific episode, your first one. When I'm listening to my podcast, the vast majority of the time I'm in my truck and a lot of the time I'm driving to and from work so during my commute. And when I got home from work, I remember looking up Casey Anthony. Where's Casey Anthony now? And she's living somewhere down in Florida. And the, the guy she's living with, I don't know if they're married or not, but didn't he, wasn't he part of her defense team or um, one of the investigators for the defense team or something? Yeah, she works for her, one of her lead def- leaders in the defense team, Pat McKenna. Um, after she left the trial, um, she couldn't go home because she had accused her family of all those wicked things. So she had nowhere to go. So her defense team helped her get on her feet and helped um, get her set up. She tried to do some work on her own. Um, She had like a freelance photography business, I think, and tried to find some other things, but no one would give her any business because everyone already knew about everything that had happened. Um, And whether they believed her or not, no one was wanting to work with her, at least. So they um, eventually she started working with her defense attorney and works with him doing legal research. Now, do you I don't know if you've seen this and I haven't watched it, but the there's a, a documentary that she did kind of telling her side of the story. Have you have you watched this? I, I was going to it was going to I think I had to pay to watch it. I'm like, I'm not paying to watch, listen to her tell her side of the story. But if it had been free, I probably would have sat and watched it. Have you seen this? I have. Yeah, I had. I did not pay to watch it either. I had a Peacock subscription and it was um, on there exclusively. And um, so when I first, like I said, when I first watched the trial, I wasn't super involved in it. So I tried not to pass judgment because I didn't know all the information. And from what I knew, from what I saw, I thought she was guilty. But then when I saw that she was found not guilty, I figured there must have been things that I didn't understand and didn't know. So I tried not to pass judgment. But when I saw, when I saw that that came out, I honestly was pretty sick of kind of hearing about her from everything that I had heard about her was negative. And I just <laughs> try to surround myself with more positive, you know, things, even though I'm really interested in true crime, which sounds like it's uh, contradictory there a little bit. So I tried not to watch that for a little while, but I got interested. And um, one night I decided to put it on. And from watching it, because she is so good at being her, I honestly started to doubt um, that what I ever thought about her. I started to think that maybe there was some merit to the story. And that is honestly what started me to, you know, get into this more. Um, I was already consuming so much true crime. And I was like, you know, I got to I want to get involved more and talk about this, because if you don't know and you haven't paid much attention and then you watch that documentary, you might be on her side. And I think so I started going into it more and started looking into it and seeing, like, is there merit to what she says? And could it be that was actually what happened? And just from everything that I could find, I, I think she's lying still. And I think that it was just her paid for, but, you know, yeah. don't look at me. It's somebody else. Look over there. <laughs> and because she wants to just go back to her life. And yeah, that's, I, I think if I'd have watched it and knowing what I know about it, especially after listening to your podcast, I wouldn't have <laughs> believed anything she was saying. I mean, cause there was, there's just too much. There's just too much evidence pointing to her doing this. We don't spend all the whole hour talking about Casey Anthony, but I, there's another episode that you did that I didn't know knew nothing about this guy. His name is Israel Keys, and this guy was a bad dude. This guy was a bad dude. He, he this this is somebody who really showed no remorse. You know, listening to his uh, the interviews when the, the police were interviewing him and stuff and listening to that and listening to him laugh and kind of just what's going on in the mind of a serial killer is crazy to me, but this guy was a bad dude, but you mentioned something about him and kind of his upbringing and in religion and stuff, the type of religion it was, I've never heard of this, this bunch, but it seemed a little off to me. It doesn't sound like Christianity to me, but you know, apparently it's a Christian based church that he was raised up in. Maybe talk about that a little bit, but maybe tell us a little bit about Israel Keys in case some people don't know who he is. Because like I said, I had never heard of him until I listened to your show. 
Yeah, for sure. Um, I like to think of him as one of the like biggest serial killers that no one's ever heard of. Because I also, even though I was pretty involved in true crime, um, when I came across this story, I, I had never heard of him. And I um, found it fascinating that not only had I never heard of him, but he also was doing his crimes and getting away with the things that he was in the early 2000s, which for myself and I think a lot of people, when we think about a serial killer, we tend to think about like the 1960s and the 1970s because that's when those big names, that's when they were uh, committing their crimes. and. Um, so I was fascinated that, you know, back then DNA was almost a joke. There was really nothing they could do. They could take some blood samples and they could match if your blood type matched the crime scene, but that was it. And, you know, fingerprints were hard to come by. There was no, um, system where they could, you know, if one police department had information, then one right next door didn't have the same information. So it was a lot easier, I think, for people back then to get away with more crimes than it is now because the state is so big and we have cameras everywhere and DNA and technology have advanced, which I think is a great thing. Um, I think it's unfortunately being corrupt like everything else, but I think the technology is wonderful and can be used in some really amazing ways. So I found it interesting that he was able to get away with what he was able to get away with for so long in the early 2000s when things were developing and we had DNA and stuff. Um, and the only reason I think he got caught is because he got cocky and he went against his own rules. He um, spent years studying serial killers and um, investigators and developing his uh, talents, for a lack of a better word, because he looked to see what they did and what got them caught. He would study to see what, um, how he could be avoided to getting caught. And he spent literal years planning out different crimes and how to commit these crimes. And he didn't have a victim type. So he rather relied on opportunity and so he would wait for the perfect opportunity to then um, attack. He also had kill kits that he stashed across the entire United States um, where he would take big buckets and fill them with different things um, that he would need to commit his crime, get away with get his crime, and dispose of the people. Um, and he stashed them all across the United States. We're not sure how many. Um, he wouldn't tell because when he was finally caught, he very slowly provided information. And it took a really long time for them to get the information that we do now. now. Um, so they did find one more of his kill kits eventually um, after he was caught. He didn't tell them exactly where it was, but through talking with him and getting details and stuff, they were able to find one of them out there. And while he was stalking and doing all of the things that he was doing, he was robbing banks. So there are video evidence and of him robbing different banks across the country. And that's how he would fund his trips because he would travel. He lived in Washington state most of his life. And then he moved to Alaska and he would travel from there to somewhere else in the United States, like fly, then rent a car, drive several states away, and then, you know, either stash a kit there or look and see if there was an opportunity that presented itself. And then he would attack and then travel back and be, you know, several states again away in just a couple hours. And it was crazy the lengths that he went to, but because he did, he was able to get away with things for such a long time. Well, let me ask you a couple of things about him before we get into his upbringing. Um, first, what was it? What were in these kill kits? I'm, I'm curious. When you, you, you call it a kill kit, what you, they were in buckets? What was what was he stashing in these kill kits? I mean, just stuff he's using to murder people with. Yes, he would have weapons, um, bleach. Um, 
different like ropes or anything you would need to restrain somebody. He would have things to, like he used bleach or other things to pour over the body to remove fingerprints and then different things to dismember and dispose of a body. It almost sounds like this was a hobby. Like this was his hobby. Yeah. <laughs> if he's stashing kill kits and he's going across the country to murder people, there's no, you said there's no victim. He didn't have a victim type. Didn't he not? Then he refused to kill anybody that had a child because he had his own daughter, and he re- he would or he wouldn't kill any kids because of his own daughters. Did I did I hear that right, or if I remember that right? Yes, he once he had his child, he said that he no longer would, um, and he didn't want to cause harm to children, so he didn't. Um, he would stay away from homes or places that people that had children. He also wouldn't attack if you had dogs. Um, so that is. Good information. <laughs> it does seem like a lot of times they do stay away from your house if you have a dog. Right. If somebody comes after me like that, I hope they like cats because I got a bunch of cats. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he um, had a child and he said that he, you know, had his own moral code, I guess. So if you could, how he could um, differentiate is crazy to me, but he wouldn't harm anybody that had a child because he didn't want to bring harm to children once he had his own and he could kind of relate to people, I guess, that have children and understand what that would do to them and to the child. And you were talking about, too, how he was able to get away from away with this in the early 2000s when we think about a serial killer, like, and you're correct, like we think about like the 60s and 70s, but he was doing this in the early 2000s. And, but I was listening. I don't know how often, how often you, if, or if you ever listen to Joe Rogan, but he was he was t- talking to another comedian on there one day, Matt Rife, the, and, and somehow they started talking about serial killers. And Joe Rogan's like, "There's still serial killers going on right, going on this to this day." You know, I, we, we I don't know if we hear about it as much as like. I mean, I guess we're gonna hear about it because it's all it's always on TV late night when I get home. <laughs> so there's it still is still happening, but. <laughs> Do you think it's as prominent as it was when we think about the 60s and 70s? Or do you think, because he said there's the way he's talking about it, it's, uh, he even said that some of them try it and then they don't, <laughs> then they don't like it and they go to, on to something else. And the other comedian's like, you don't just dabble in murder. <laughs> What's going on here? This is, <laughs> this is strange. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, unfortunately, I the statistics are that at any given time in the United States, there are around 50 to 100 active serial killers. Um, some people believe that the number is even much higher than that into the hundreds. Wow. But the thing and the reason I think they're able to get away so much with it is because the people that are now more than anything, the people that find themselves victims are those that most, you know, the higher ups don't care about. Um, so we have people that are on the fringes of society, people that have, you know, found themselves in destitute situations or have addictions or have decided to traffic themselves or have found themselves trafficked by others. And because of that, they're easy to um, disappear. So a lot of times the people that we find in the true crime cases are people that are in those situations, the vast majority, not that there's not, you know, a chance for anybody. They, there is because it's just the statistically the way it is. But because of our technology advancements and everything with DNA, and it's harder for them to get away with it. So a serial killer is more methodical than like a spree killer. So they're more interested in like not getting caught so they are going to look for things that are easier to disappear and find people that are easier to get away with and so unfortunately it happens to be those um or indigenous people as well um they're they are vastly um in the majority of these cases and it's it's crazy that and they don't get talked about because for whatever reason, our society doesn't seem to give them anywhere near as much media coverage. And it needs to be talked about. And that's one of the things that I do want to um, plan on doing. Like you said, I'm just starting out here, but I have big, big goals. <laughs> um, and 
have lots and lots of different types of cases that I want to get into and cover and talk about and put spotlights on for different reasons. Well, that's no, I think you're, I think the show's great. Like I said earlier, this, it's something that catches my attention. I don't know why it catches my attention, but it's not, I'm not I know I'm not the only person that will sit down and watch these stories. Two, a couple more things I want to ask you, and then I do want to talk about his upbringing in, in religion and in that church. Yeah. But you mentioned a serial killer is different than a spree killer. And while you, you were said, you said that as I was thinking of something in my head. Because I you know living in Memphis, there's a lot of, or I, I live outside of Memphis, but the city of Memphis, there's a lot of gang violence. It's a very dangerous city, was, and there's killings every day. You know, there's, there's people running around that have killed more than one person. But you, would you classify them as like a spree killer compared to like a serial killer? Yes, I think that um, because of gang violence, that is a different type of. I mean, you could break it down and consider some of them to be serial killers because they are committing crimes a lot but a serial killer is more meticulous and it usually is more of of like a compulsion and something that they take their time and find enjoyment out of what they're doing in some capacity so i there while there are so many serial killers happening actively in the world there are also all of those other types of criminals out there that are also killing people. Um, So it's unfortunate that we have so many uh, violent acts out there um, that also deserve attention and um, things that we could work on to. Right. I think also like gang violence, to me, when I look at it, to me, it looks like it's almost it's out of survival. They're in survival mode where a serial killer, like you said, is more methodical and they plan this stuff out. It's a compulsion, like that's something they have to do. Like us, like the Israel Keys guy, it's almost like it was a hobby to him, you know. Let's get, let's talk about his upbringing and his. Oh, wait, one more thing you said about the fringes of society, and and I happened to watch a documentary from 2015 the other day. It was about the private investigator that Courtney Love hired to help find Kurt Cobain, and then he, the PIs almost sound like he's accusing her of murder, like he didn't really commit suicide. I don't know if you've heard this story or not. I just, I just watched it the other night and. One of the guys on there, he said, the FBI says, if you want to get away with murder, kill a junkie because they're just going to call it what it is. You know, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know if, you, if you've watched that or not. I just found that very interesting. Yes, I have seen it. And um, I agree that I, it was very compelling what I saw from them as well, that um, if you can believe everything that you see, um, it does definitely put some questions out there of whether Kirk um, actually offed himself or if someone else did it. And it's crazy to think. And like he said, I mean, it really is true because I think a lot of times, unfortunately, the detectives are so, for one reason or another, maybe because they're overworked, maybe because they're understaffed, maybe because that system isn't the best way to get this done. Um, They look for the easiest case. And if you can wrap it up and put a bow on it and let it go, then they're going to do that because then they have another 20,000 other things to do and get into. And they don't have the time to worry, oh, is that actually the right case? Or is that the actual right result? Um, And I think that is a huge error, but it is something that really does happen a lot. Okay, now let's let's get back to what I wanted to talk about the uh, the upbringing of Israel Keys, the uh, his childhood as a in, in the church. And I don't remember the name of this church. Maybe you can help me out with that too. But who, who? Let's talk about that a little bit because you put it in. You talked about it in the show, and it seems like it had some kind of influence on him. You know, the, as a child, and I don't know, if the, a lot of his church mates were would not hang out with him anymore because they run around with him. He's out there just killing cats, and that breaks my heart because I'm I'm a crazy cat lady, you know. So. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. He was involved in a couple different churches in his life. Um, I think that the churches that he was involved in were not, (laughs) I think church is a loose term for what he was involved in. I think they were more um, a cult than anything. So um, I think, unfortunately, a lot of cults do use the term church and they use Christianity to hide behind what their actual motives are, um, or other religions for that matter. Um, it's a, one of the other topics that I definitely want to get into are cults because they are um, also running rampant around and 
are scary than what they do, but I think his churches definitely, definitely had a, a huge role in what he did and what he became. And to that point, one of the churches that he was involved in, another prominent family in that church also was heavily involved in crime and um his one of the guys kids i guess that he was running around with ended up committing a triple homicide and was also tried so um if that gives you any indication of the people that he was hanging around um through his youth and he was um involved you know they were known to have uh white supremacists and racist tendencies and views and um, pushed a lot of things that I don't think any true Christian would even believe in. And they were also living very, very remotely, which I don't think is a bad thing in general. Um, I grew up in the cities or, you know, the suburbs of cities, and um, I desire to be more remote now <laughs> throughout my life. But the way they went about it, I think, was detrimental to the development of their children because they lived in poverty. I mean, the lowest of poverty and had no running water, no electricity. They lived in a one bedroom shack and forced the kids to sleep in tents. So, I mean, just that alone is very, very stressful on your body growing up, your mind growing up. Um, that doesn't allow you the abilities to really develop. You're just living in survival mode from the beginning. And I think that is a huge player and factor. And then to have all of these negative influences on you at the same time, um, who, who knows what else also occurred that we don't know about that he didn't tell us um, and that we don't have record of also that could have also played more factors into it. Yeah, I, I remember hearing you say that in the show about the the racial uh, side of it with that church. And when I listening to you describe that church, I, I'm with you. It doesn't sound like Christianity to me, not the way I understand the teachings of Christ. This does not sound anything like Jesus would condone. And so if you've got that kind of influence on you, and I'm not trying to make excuses for this this guy because he was pure evil. I mean, it was, the stuff he did to these folks was evil. You know, just the fact that you want, you know, the way he would scope out his in his prey, basically, like he would watch them, and he would set all this up, you know, just so so he knew what he was going to do. But I don't know that he had any. He did not seem to have any remorse when you would listen to him in the interviews with the cops. Like I said earlier, like he was just sound like he was laughing, you know. And he he ended up. You said he he was he was giving them information very slowly. And he wanted to. He wanted the death penalty very to happen very quickly, and he did not want the media to know about any of this stuff. And all, somehow it got out to the media, and it pissed him off. And then he did not want. He shut down basically, and before they could get any more information from him, he ended up just killing himself in prison. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A um, he when he finally was caught, he had gone against his own. Um, set of rules for himself. He said he would never commit a crime near where he lived. And he ended up abducting um, a woman, Samantha, and um, she would lived in his neighborhood and or around the corner from where he was. And um, he took her back to his house and did some horrible things and ended her life. And because of that, he was caught, thankfully, eventually. But it took months for them to finally catch him and then once they did finally catch him he finally confessed that yes i'll tell you everything i'll tell you about samantha and i'll tell you about everything that happened and um before her and all of the other crimes that i've committed um but i have my requests and they wanted to know these things so they were like fine we'll give you what you want just <laughs> what is it that you want and like you said, yeah, he wanted um, everything to be wrapped up within a year, and he wanted the death penalty. Um, he didn't want to be stuck on trial. Um, he didn't want the media involved. He wanted to be unknown. He said he didn't want to be involved in these stupid true crime uh, things. So it kind of makes me feel a little petty happiness that <laughs> I'm talking about him, I guess. But he... Um, 
asked that they not reveal anything. And eventually um, the media found word that they were out or that they had arrested somebody. So, of course, they were trying to get information about it. And they did try to keep him, you know, quiet and keep it under wraps while they were talking to him. And they talked to him for months um, while he was slowly giving them this information about his upbringing. He loved to talk. And as you could hear from some of the recordings, he enjoyed to talk about these disgusting things that he did. And he would find pleasure in it and laugh and um, found himself to be just amazing, which is absolutely twisted and is hard to believe that he was a real person. But yes, eventually um, the media found out and were discussing him and he was all over the media. And because of that, he stopped talking and stopped cooperating and he went back to his cell and took his own life. He was allowed a disposable razor, so he was able to take a blade out of that and use that in some bed sheets to end himself. Well, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not one to advocate for the death, death penalty any longer. I used to, but I I don't think this. I don't. There's also a lot of people in prison that are on death row that did not commit any crimes, and so yes, because sometimes you got. I don't think I don't. I don't like the state having some kind of say in somebody's life. I don't. I don't trust them. But they're mass murderers themselves. I mean, the the, the state to me is the biggest serial killer out there, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, especially the United States government. If when you think about it, so to have them, them have the the uh, authority to decide whether a person is going to live or die. I don't trust them because we see we see it happen all the time. People getting out of prison who did never committed a crime and they were there 30, 40 years. I mean, they're, they're, their life's over, you know, and they, but there's been people that have probably been put, I'm, I'm convinced there's been people that have been put to death that probably never committed a crime. There have been. So I don't advocate for the death penalty. And so I agree a hundred percent. So I don't trust them. I don't trust the state. I don't trust the government Yeah, that they should have that authority. I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that. I used to, I used to, believe you know the eye for an eye like the, the bible speaks about in the old testament when jesus comes back and he corrects and he goes you've heard for an eye uh, you've heard of eye for an eye and then he changed he, he corrects their thinking on it when i took started taking the teachings of christ more serious like oh i don't think i support the death penalty anymore which is wild because i grew up in west texas and we were deep red everybody believes in the death penalty in texas <laughs> that's like a hobby of the state of texas is to, to kill people in prison you know so <laughs> It's just something we believe. I just I no longer believe it, and it gets me pushed back sometimes. But I don't I don't care. I mean, I, I say a lot of things that get me pushed back these days. They haven't come got me yet. I was also a strong believer in the death penalty when I was younger as well. Um, but I also agree. Um, I see how corrupt the system is, and I see how many innocent people have been uh, treated wrongly and accused of things that they were not, and also. Um, innocent or guilty people who were let go and have been able to commit horrible crimes because they were let go again. And so the state doesn't ever get it right, it feels like. And not enough that they should be deciding whether someone lives or dies and takes that away from them. Even if you can tell that that person is guilty of what they've done, I think it's a more horrible crime to make them sit and think about what they've done and make them have to live in that. Whether they have the ability to truly ever have that introspective part of it, um, they should have no other option than to just sit there and think about it. And um, But I definitely don't think that we should be deciding who lives and dies. That's, you know, we'd be just the same as those who killed. Exactly. I mean, I mean, let's, let's not to get too far off into that, but you mentioned something too, that and like they let people out that go commit more horrific crimes. It happens in Memphis all the time now. Like they've got this new policy where they're letting hardcore criminals out of out of out of jail, and then they're right back on the streets committing crimes again because that somehow they're. This is going to sound strange, but it's seen, and I don't want to. I don't see any difference in the left and the right when it comes to politics. I, I see there, but it seems to be happening a lot in, in your more liberal cities where they're letting these people out of prison and they're committing more crimes. And people in Memphis are pissed off about it. I mean, you, you can go on, you can go on uh, like the Memphis Police Department Facebook page, and they're talking about somebody who just got out of prison and, and then he committed another crime. And people in the thread are pissed off. They're like, why are you letting them out of prison? 
They have. They did not. It's not like they were committing petty crimes. There, some of them have, have, have been put in prison for murder, and they're letting them out, and they're going and killing again. Yeah. I mean, this the this, this state is so incompetent, and the, and the, the belief in the in authority, and the belief in government these days is is baffling to me. But everything that we know about government, how you can believe in anything that they're doing is, is virtuous or or right. You got to be kidding me! It's at what, what point do you go? This is this is when Craig goes on his tangent about the government on the Bad Roman podcast, and I apologize, but it really starts grinding my gears when I when I sit and think about it because there's so there's no reason to believe in them, and so I don't trust the death penalty. I don't trust any of that garbage. I just I think you're right. It's probably more of a more of a punishment to let them sit and think about it and hang out with these other fools that are committing crimes too, and they probably end up getting killed in prison anyway or killing themselves. Yeah, for sure. And they, I mean, the prisoners have codes as well. So depending on what you do, they will take their own, you know, give you your punishment <laughs> on their own. And um, some of it, I think, is just. Um, and yeah, the I actually have released a third episode. And in my third episode, the perpetrator of that crime um, was a several times convicted rapist and was out on the streets walking about just committing more crimes and abducted another woman and uh, took her life as well after violently uh, sexually assaulting her. So um, they're definitely not getting it right in any capacity. And um, I agree that the state is not in, does not have the right power to uh, decide anything for any of us really, because they're not doing a very good job most of the time. And um, most crimes, I mean, I think it's like 80% of uh, cases go unsolved. And because of armchair, armchair detectives and people like me who are getting involved in this stuff, more things are being done and cases are being able to be pushed through and things are being able to be solved by the average uh, everyday person because we're using our... Um, you know, we don't have to go through all that bureaucracy and red tape and um, all that crap because we can, you know, look into things um, without having to rely on the government to do so. And there's been cases that are coming about and getting solved um, without the help of police and without detectives. And um, it's really interesting to see. And with other technologies, advancements in DNA and um, using ancestry DNA, they've you know, they just solved the Golden State Killer finally, which was a huge deal for a really long time. And um, that's a really interesting aspect that, um, but I think in the hands of us as a society. Are you going to do a show on that? I don't know yet. <laughs> it It's really, really highly covered and there's so much good um, coverage out there. Uh, I want to talk about things that I feel like I can bring something to the story so if something's like i mean i chose kaylee casey and kaylee anthony um which obviously is super highly covered um also but um i was just starting out and i needed something that has a whole lot of information so that it would be something i could get my feet wet and get into um but i want to cover cases that aren't as highly covered. There are certain ones that I do want to get into because I think it's important for us all to talk about the different aspects to it. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't decided yet about that one. It's really, really interesting. And I'm so happy that we finally were able to track him down because, oh my goodness, he was terrifying. And the people that experienced what he did. Well, um, to be honest with you, I have no idea who this guy is. I had not heard of him until you just mentioned it. So, I mean, if it's, it's highly covered, so I haven't seen it. So maybe I need you to do a show on it. I don't okay. know. <laughs> so, well, I will take that note. Just, just, just for my benefit. <laughs> I'm open to suggestions and I want to know what other people want to know about. So um, I definitely um, am happy to go into things if other people are interested and um, to look into them myself and to put my own spin on things. <laughs> Well, like the Israel Keys thing, I had not heard of the guy, and, the, and the, the, that story to me is fascinating because it's like I said, he was a bad dude. I, I, you brought that to my attention. I appreciate that um, because true crime, like I said, do you ever? Let me ask you this, and this is something uh, we've been going about an hour now. I don't want to keep you too much longer, but um, something that I catch myself doing, like when I get home from work, and I, if I go to sleep watching 
a true crime show like Dateline has this stuff all the time, you know, and, and I find myself looking like the victim's families up on social media to see how they're doing, you know, and I don't know if that's strange or not, because I've never lost anybody to murder. I've, I've lost my brother, my young, my baby brother here back in 2020. So I've been affected and that, that affected me, you know, pretty, pretty deeply and still does. But what, but I have find myself going and checking on these families just as like you can find if you hear their name on one of these shows, you can look them up on Facebook. You just want to know if they're still, if they, how they're getting along, how they're, they're still talking about their loved ones they lost and stuff, but they're still kind of moving along with their life. You got to move on. So I don't know if that's strange for me to do that, but I do catch myself doing that, checking in on these people. I don't like, I don't get on their Facebook and start sending them messages or comment on their threads or anything like that. But I just kind of creep their pages a little bit to see how they're doing. I don't know if that's strange or not. I'm not, I'm not a weirdo. I'm not a creeper, but I'm just, just kind of curious to see how they're doing is all. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I mean, a lot of the victims, especially um, the victims' families, especially those that we don't know what happened um, and, you know, we know a crime was committed or they went missing or whatever, um, but the ones that don't have answers, they definitely are out there like wanting people to check in and to hear their, you know, their loved ones' stories and to know because they just want answers and it ends up, you know, completely changing their life in such a drastic way. And for some people, it becomes their entire life. And so, um, yeah, I think it's great that anyone who's kind and has a, um, wants to go about looking up and caring about somebody. I don't think that's ever a bad thing. Um, I think some people can, you know, manipulate things and change things to make them seem like they're nefarious. But I think if anything that comes from a kind place is a good thing. Okay, good. I'm not a weirdo then. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you sent me to kind of help prepare me for this because I didn't know how I was going to go about the show. Like I said, it's something we've never done on 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 this podcast. And I'm going to keep doing episodes with other podcasters, even if it's not about religion or the government. Somehow that stuff works its way into the conversation anyway. I've done it before and I, I want to keep doing it with other podcasters because it's so much fun for me. And it's kind of, I told you this before we started recording. I don't know if this sounds selfish, but it also, when I do this, these other podcasters are sharing the, that episode with their audience. So it's put more eyes on the Bad Roman podcast as well. My producer thinks it's a great idea. She's she's happy that I'm doing this because it is put more eyes on the project, and that's what we're here for not to not to be selfish or pat ourselves on the back, but we do we have a message, and we want more people to hear what we have to say because we're pretty confident in what we believe when it comes to the religion and, and the state and stuff with the bad Roman. All right, so you sent me a summary of of what you want to do with the podcast and stuff, and I want to kind of maybe touch on this a little bit, and then I'll let you plug you know tell us where everybody can find your stuff at, but. Um, you said from true crime cases to conspiracies and the paranormal, including aliens, UFO, UAPs, cryptids, ghosts. This I, I have my own opinion on like UFOs and ghosts and stuff, and and but I still watch this stuff because it's fascinating to me. I don't I don't know why it fascinates me, but I, I watch it whether I believe like Bigfoot. I don't know. I'll get sucked into a Bigfoot show, and one thing I've discovered about these Bigfoot shows is they never find Bigfoot. Right, never. They never find him. <laughs> And, but I'll sit there and waste an hour of my life watching the show, knowing they're not going to find Bigfoot. But I'm curious. So like with the conspiracies, you know, and and doing stuff with uh, UFOs and, and ghosts and, and all these other paranormal stuff. You're not just sticking to just to true crime. You're going to do this stuff with your with your podcast. as Well, and I think that's a great idea. Kind of give it some, you know, a lot of variety. People can find some stuff. You know, people are going to latch on to certain things. And that, I think that's a, a great idea to do. Can I ask you where you are, how you feel about like ghosts and UFOs and stuff? Do you believe they exist or or just just my curiosity? Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I um, the majority of what I probably plan to cover is going to be true crime. But I am definitely interested in conspiracies. And I think a lot of them um, are part of the true crime narrative as well. So I think that um, naturally goes together. But because of that, I'm also interested in ghosts and um, aliens and all of those things. Um, I have had my own experiences and I have witnessed things that um, as someone who is very scientific, I like to study science and I'm interested in the scientific method of things and 
I just couldn't understand or explain the things that I've seen or experienced. And what I used to believe is different than what I now believe about it. Um, I think there are a lot of different things at work at the same time, including, and this might be a little crazy, but I think that a lot of the gray aliens and stuff that we see is um, human manipulated. I don't think those are real. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they're real men from the outer space, but I do think there are phenomena that is occurring that um, is not human uh, created. And I think I found it, I find it super interesting and I like to hear other people's stories um, about all of that. Um, so I do want to at times, dive into those different things. Um, for Halloween, I'm maybe planning on something that way, um, kind of. There's a case about um, The Exorcist. The movie um, is actually based off of a true story, supposedly, of a little boy um, who was possessed. So I might go into that. I haven't decided 100% yet. I've, uh, I remember watching The Exorcist when I was a child, and that movie scared the crap out of me. And now when I watch it as, a, as an adult, I'm like, this is a silly movie. Now, like, like the newer versions are pretty scary, but yeah. like the old version I've watched, this is, this was, how did I get scared by this? This is silly. You know, just the, the way they made films back then, I guess. But, and you mentioned like, I wanted to say, so I don't know if you've seen this meme going around with uh, about UFOs, but like now like the government's coming out and saying the stuff that, uh, the, the, the UFOs are true. They've got, they've got evidence of it. And, and then, now there's this meme going around saying about conspiracy theorists are like, oh, the government's admitting to it. I no longer believe in UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> so <it's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. You know, yeah, it's hard to when they came out and said all these things are true. It is hard to be like, OK, well, then it can't be true if they're finally admitting it. They're never telling us the whole truth. So there's no way that that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, um, if you want to just kind of just give everybody a rundown of what you're wanting to do with the show, and, and, and like I said, folks, if if you're into true crime, and if you're not, even go 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 check it out and and, and give her a shout out because this it's pretty cool to me to see new podcasters. I've been an advocate for everybody starting a podcast because if, if it can get people away from our corporate media, get something you know for other people to listen to, I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of other podcasters. You know, taking the taking that step out. And doing it and putting your voice out there. So maybe just give the listeners um, a rundown of what you're wanting to do with the show and what you're hoping to get out of it. And then plug it and tell us where we can find uh, Christie's Chronicles at. Yeah, um, I am doing this all on my own. Um, this is really just a passion project for me. Um, so I am doing all of the research, all of the writing, all of the editing, everything. It's just me. <laughs> and um, I just spend so much of my time already consuming this type of content. And I just felt like I had to get involved and do more than just be a true crime consumer. And I just had to get involved in the narrative and start talking about these things and hopefully inspire other people to get involved in it and want to talk about this and see if there's things we can do to improve upon these situations that are happening. And, um, yeah, so I have big lofty goals. I'd love to um, change the world. But <laughs> um, if I just help one person, um, then I'll be happy that I was able to do something. So um, you can listen to my podcast. Um, I'm on Podbean. I've got my website, uh, Christie's Chronicles. It's spelled C-R-I-S-T-Y. S Chronicles, there's no apostrophe, dot podbean.com. Um, and there you can find the links to all the different um, places where you can listen to it. It should be available pretty much anywhere um, where you listen to podcasts. I've got it on um, Spotify, Amazon, um, Apple, a bunch of different places. So I really appreciate anybody that's willing to listen to me. Um, and I've got some social um can, you know, sites out there too. So um, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. Um, I'm currently on X, but I heard that they might be charging a subscription soon. So if that happens, I probably won't continue to subscribe on there. <laughs> um, but yeah, I would love to um, continue the conversation out there and um, get people involved and 
answer any questions anybody might have. And if anyone has any um, suggestions and cases they would be more interested in knowing more about, I'd be happy to take suggestions as well. Awesome. Um, do you have any plans on uh, like having guests on your show to talk about true crime or aliens or ghosts or anything or conspiracies? Or are you going to keep it like a solo podcast? Yeah, um, I am definitely open to um, trying different things and not just keeping it the same format every time I do. Um, I'm actually working with my spouse, Chris. Um, we're actually going to cover the Waco incident and the Branch Davidians and um, work on that together and kind of have more of a conversation instead of just me um, presenting the story. So I'm um, definitely interested in trying different formats and having people on if they are interested in being involved and Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. I like to, I've, I've, I've played with the idea of doing a solo podcast, but it terrifies me. I don't think I'd be very good at it. Even though my producer can clean up any nonsense that I spout off anyway, but I, I, I do better having a conversation with somebody, you know, cause I'm, I'm a social butterfly by nature. So it's easier for me to play off the guests when I can have a conversation instead of sitting there, trying to run through my brain. And like, I don't know how y'all do it, how y'all do solo podcasts, but I, it's, it's, it's impressive to me <laughs> that people can do that. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I do script my stuff because there's just so much information and there's, um, I feel like I would just go into too many tangents. I need to have it more uh, organized <laughs> for myself to have it, you know, presented in a way that everyone can easily follow along. But um I just dove into this on my own. Um, I had no experience at all, and I just really wanted to get involved. So um, I just dove headfirst into it, and this is the way I decided to go about it um, because it was just me. So um, I decided to just see what comes about it, and um, I'm open to changing things up and or at least trying different, um, different ways and formats of doing things as well. Well, I think our I think our listeners are going to enjoy this conversation, and anybody listening to this, go go check her podcast out. You can tell how much work she puts into it, and then she's very she says she scripts it, but you can tell that it's a, she's got a plan whenever she's listening to, when you listen to her show, and, and she's got she goes step by step and walks you through the cases. And I'm very impressed by the the amount of information you're able to put out. Like I said, I've learned stuff from your podcast that I had no idea about. Like I watch true crime stuff all the time. I knew about the Casey. Anthony stuff, but I did, there's stuff I learned in listening to your show that I didn't know about it. So there's still things to be learned, you know, even if you know about these cases, go check it out. Cause she, you might learn something from Christy's podcast. All right, Christy, I'm gonna let you get out of here before we lose power again. And then uh, I'll go enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on here. Um, I'm really appreciative and excited and, um, I really enjoy your podcast as well. So I really appreciate you just giving me the opportunity to be here and to hopefully reach some more people. So I hope you have a great day. That's what we're here for. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Bad Roman.